Take two. This is Jeff Young with Vicki Abelson for Game Changers. I'm going to play a song of mine called Drive about the first time I came to California.
Okay. All right. So I'm busy listening to make sure that. All right. So it looks like we have sound now. Jeff, I'm sorry. I don't know what the hell is going on here. And we're having all this conversation. Now we got to go back and talk to people again. Pete's trying to hook this thing up. <laughs> and there's, you know, we're, 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 we're winging it because we're on the road. We're on location and shit happens. Okay. So. It's like mama said. <laughs> what, is mom, what did mama say? Mama said there'll be days like this. Love that stuff. So, yeah. so, okay, so we were talking before we got so rudely interrupted by I don't know what. We still have sound, right? I think we still have sound. Hey, John. Hey, Sharon. Uh, who else is watching? We got Bill. Um, Nick. Uh, Nick, you hearing things? Say Jeff's waving at you. Wave yeah. over there. That's, yeah, there you go. All right, so Jeff was telling us that you used to go to the Apollo with your dad. Yeah. And, uh, and you saw Sly and Family Stone, and not a lot of people were in the house, which is crazy to me. Yeah, it might have been 20 people. Well, oh, come on. What, what well, they, they just came out dancing to music. Had just come out. Probably, so I'm sure we're it wasn't talking even like late. mid 60s? What are we talking? Late 60s? Mid 60s? I was 17. 63 now, so when was that? Okay, so. Uh, uh, so I was 17 then too. So we're talking, I don't know what we're talking. We're talking 70 or something. Like, yeah. uh, no. Probably, um, more. We're talking like 72. Maybe. So yeah. Sly and the Family, wait a minute. I can remember Sly and the Family Stone around when I was like in junior, we're the same age. And I remember being in junior high school and dancing to the music. No? But that, that, that yeah, well, I was, I was just entering high school then. You know, so I mean, it just come out. And, um, wow. and nothing sounded like it. And I went to see them at the Apollo. And um, the way they were dressed. Like bell bottoms and stuff? Sly had on the uh, the rabbit boots and the, and the knickerbocker pants. <laughs> did he have a big fro? He had a big fro. Oh, yeah. And um, and the big, uh, didn't he have the big, didn't he have the big? They were very colorful, you know. Yeah. And, um, and, and it just looked like the hippest band in the world. And so were those 20 people appreciative of the fact that they were seeing like this unbelievable music? Yeah, and, they, and Red Fox was, 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 was just trying out jokes. Was he filthy and fantastic? He was really filthy. <laughs> he was great. That's very cool that your dad would take you to that. He took us to a lot of shows. Okay, so what was it like seeing James Brown live? I can't even imagine that. I remember thinking that he had these, these bell bottoms on that looked a bit high water. And I figured it was because he had to dance. Oh. You know. But, um... Did he do the whole thing with the coat and the... Yeah, that was oh. always happening. <laughs> and at the time, I didn't think he was... I thought... I saw Joe Tex more, and I thought Joe Tex was... I thought was just as good. And really? A guy, and, a, and, a, and a singer named Tommy Hunt. Okay, I don't know Joe Tex, and I don't know Tommy Hunt. Oh, Joe Tex had, 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 had a bunch of hits. Joe Tex know. was great. Okay. You know. Like what? Can you think of one? Um, because I don't remember him. Joe Tex said, what was it said? Um, I gotcha. Um, I, I, I actually think I know what you're talking about. But uh, a song I still listen to is, um, um, oh, there's a song that he's got. Uh, um, oh, my memory. Falls. All right. It'll, anyway, it'll come, it'll to, come you. to me. Yeah. Um, Oh wow, Nick's in, in Nick's Beck is in England and he's watching us at three thirty in the morning. Boy. And he just said it's worth 
the weight. Oh, good. All right, Nick. Hi, Norm. Um, hi, Sharon. All right, it looks like our sound problems are solved. I'm very happy about that. Okay, so so you go to the Apollo. You're seeing this amazing music. Your dad's a singer. What kind of what kind of singer is your dad? He liked the blues, and as I remember, he particularly liked Bobby Blue Bland. Mm. So, and uh, my father had had a voice, a really good blues voice. He so just sang he, around the house. Right? I was just gonna say, did he just sing around the house, or did he ever like sing out? He never sang out. He just he just sang. I just hear him sing around the house. He never performed anything. Did he encourage you? Oh yeah, they were they were all four. They, you know, they brought my brother drums early. Okay, so and my now my mother had this piano. Wait a minute, you're in an apartment in New Wait, are you in an apartment or Actually, a house? Actually, we, 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 we were one of the lucky black families that, that, that had a house. Okay, wow. Well, I didn't, you know, yeah, wow. So that's impressive. I'm from New York, too. No how. Well, you know, they, they, they came up from Birmingham, Alabama. They moved around up quite a bit. And um, they had a little house down south, uh -huh. which they sold. And they put it, they, they got a house, got a two-family house. And the second apartment, a lot of my mother's um, sisters lived with us and came up. So mm -hmm. they, they paved the way for um, my mother's siblings to come up. And also my, my father's brothers came up. And, and, so, and everybody kind of moved up around the Mount Vernon, New York area. And so your father did this as a cook? Yeah. He, um, he, my mother worked too. My mother was a seamstress. Uh huh. You know, she did domestic work. Cause they she came. She came to New York first. Oh really? How did they meet? Do you know? Well, they they were they were they were already together, and my father went to the war, and he came back, and then he joined her in, in New York. And, I mean, so that was some kind of that was middle class doing okay, having a house and. Well, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was definitely middle class for you know, for uh, for black folk. For black folk, yeah. <laughs> that's right. It was pretty middle class. I mean, I grew up in an apartment. We were in an apartment, so yeah. Um, I have we lived in a mostly Italian Italian immigrant neighborhood. We lived on the north side of Mount Vernon, which was mixed, you know, Italians and Polish, a few black families sprinkled out. And so when you the went south, to school, the south side uh -huh. was was predominantly black, and. Um, I think Denzel Washington comes from the south side. Oh, really? Or from near that side. Mm -hmm. So what was it like being in school? Were, was, were you like token black, black family? Were there, were there not a lot of black kids in your school? No, it was totally mixed. It was totally mixed? Yeah. Okay. I mean, there were, there were less black people than there were other people on, on that side of town. Do you remember the day that Martin Luther King was killed? Do you rem I remember being in, we were, are the exact same age. I remember being in junior high school that day. Yeah. And uh, I actually got dragged down the hall by my hair that day. Really? Yeah. Um, but that was a pretty, uh, yeah. We, we grew up in, in very interesting times. I remember, for some reason, I remember even more. John Kennedy being killed. Oh God, yeah. Because I, I was in elementary school, and, mm -hmm. and the janitor came in and told told our teacher, and um, and she announced it to us, and we kind of went on with the with the uh, with our lesson, and then they had the funeral on TV, and I remember there was no cars on the street; mm -hmm. everybody was watching us. 
They sent us home from school and came over the loudspeaker and yeah. they sent us home when he was shot. They might have done the same. I, I, what I remember is, is it being televised and being a really sad day. Mm -hmm. And everybody was watching it. There was no traffic moving on the streets. So, all right, so let's get to happier times. So your bro so you, they buy your brother a drum kit, which for parents to do for their kid is pretty outrageous because that's some pretty noisy listening that you're doing. With well, we, we had a house, and if it wasn't for, for that, we wouldn't have been able to play, I don't think, because my brother and I, once I decided I wanted to play organ, you know, eventually they... they, they, they they want us to have things. They they probably would have been musicians if they could have themselves. Mm. So they somehow made it work. And by the time I was kind of in my early teens when I decided I wanted to play organ, so I got this smaller Hammond organ on the layaway. Remember the layaway? I remember the layaway. Like you put a little bit of money down and you, <laughs> and you play. And I was also already working a job. I was going to say, how'd you do layaway? Because you have to make payments when you do layaway. I made enough... You know, payments. I was work, work. I was working at at as a first as a dishwasher, and then I did a room service at the same hotel my father worked at. Your dad was the Brampton was a hotel. Yeah. Uh huh. You know. Where was and the hotel? It was in Bronxville. So how, how, was that a big commute for you guys? No. No. It was, it was you know it was pretty easy to get to. Mm hmm. Yeah. So did you work the shifts that your dad did so you could get to work? He was he was always there so mm -hmm. when I was working. Mm -hmm. So otherwise I would take the bus. So you did the layaway and you got yourself. Uh, you got yeah, and then me and my brother were playing very loud in the basement of my parents' house, mm -hmm. and the police used to used to shut us down. Come on! They shine lights through the windows, <laughs> tell us to cut it out. And so, what kind of music are you and your brother uh, playing? Well, we were we were black hippies, you know. Yeah. Fly had happened. Mm -hmm. And we were listening to W a lot of W N E W FM. So we were listening. Pete Fornatelli, those days, Scott yeah, Muni, oh Roscoe. god, oh god, yeah. yeah. Well, and when they played freeform music, I mean, there wasn't a playlist back in those days. They would play what they well, wanted. They were all great. I remember Allison Steele's. Oh god, the Nightbird great, loved her. And yeah. so we we were trying to learn how to play that by ear. We were, you know, and some of it was was even like British progressive rock, you know. So are you playing like Jefferson Airplane? You play what? What do you? No, play, no we're what are you playing? What are you playing? We were playing traffic. Uh, what are you playing? We were playing traffic. Were we you? A lot. Traffic yeah. was was very big in the mix. Mm -hmm. You know, and then uh, cream, cream, a lot of cream. Mm -hmm. Then bands like uh, Free, Paul. Oh Rose, God, yeah. You know, um, so Jethro Tull at the Fillmore East quite a few times. So did I. You know, I bet you we would. I was there the first day they did Aqualong. They, it was the, it was the benefit tour, but they introduced Aqualong. It was at the Fillmore East, and uh, it was the first time that they played it live. Yeah. Were you there that day? But I, what I remember is the first time. This what is that? This what stand was stand up. Stand up. I think. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you were like me, because we were like the little kids at the Fillmore. We were like little kids, 14, 15, when yeah. that was happening. And I used to go there with my brother, because I was too young to go in. And mm -hmm. I remember, um, I just wrote a song about, about this. Because, Did you really? Yeah, because I remember how amazed, amazed I was at St. Mark's Place. 
how it was kind of like a wonderland. There was there was no other block I know of that was like, it still has a charm, but there were all these shops and stores and different things. And uh, I remember buying some saddlebags. Saddlebags. For, for, my, for my books in high school. Mm -hmm. And from a place that was later called Trash and... and Trash and Vaudeville. But before that, it was yeah. called Granny Takes a Trip. Oh, God, I don't remember that. And that's where I heard All Along the Watchtower by Hendrix. And for some reason, it just, like, I remember it because it, it was blasting and, and whatever system they had in that. And they had all... Now, I didn't know what it was, but what it was was they had a lot of... Uh, the fashion was like very much from Britain. Oh, hell yeah. Kind of like, uh, you know, the platform shoes, mm -hmm. you know, really cool stuff. A lot of button down t shirts. But. Wait, but, button down t shirts? Yeah, you know, like. Um, you can still buy these things, but they, they were huh. really hip that you could wear a vest over, you know, French jackets. I brought a French suede French jacket from there. Trash and Vaudeville was yeah. the shit. I bought a lot of stuff at Trash and Vaudeville. I brought these purple platform shoes that were too <laughs> small for me. <laughs> but I had to have them. Did you wear them? Yeah, I oh. wore them when I could, but I was kind of like... <laughs> I was a little shy about it because, you know, no, nobody else I knew, you know. And somehow I always kind of found the money for these things, you know. Yeah. I worked, but my, my, my father was really generous. That's really sweet. Yeah. By the way, when I met Mike Finnegan, I almost had a nervous breakdown because he played on Electric Ladyland. He played on Still Raining, Still Dreaming, which is like my favorite yeah. song. He played on that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mike Finnegan is one of the greatest organ players, you know, there is. The fact that he played with Hendrix, yeah, he is. And, and But to have that lineage, oh, my God. So, all right, so obviously we were listening to the same music back in the day. So you're playing that music, but you're, you, but you have gospel R&B kind of roots too, right? Because that's well, the music what, ha what happened was when I got in high school, maybe my third year of high school, I met this guitar player named Craig, who was playing with this band, and he suggested I should come here. And I went to hear this band, and the thing that was amazing about it was. The the leader of the band, who was T.M. Stevens. Okay, tell me. T.M. Stevens later played, he did a lot of stuff with Narada Michael Walden. He played on the, um, kind of co-produced Joe Cocker's um, oh. uh, Unchained My Heart. Oh. Um, larger than life bass player. What, one of the first really great bass players. And I joined that band, and the repertoire was Ohio players and James Brown little bit of um, Chicago but it was it was an R&B top 40 band uh-huh you know so were you, were you okay so how did the singing start when did that start for you kind of in that band because TM sang everything mm -hmm. the trumpet player sang a few things but they wanted to know if I could sing uh, Stevie Wonder's uh, first album had come out and I could sing, but I never was asked to sing, but I think I sung uh, Superwoman, you know. Mary wants to be a superwoman, because <laughs> they needed a ballad, and I pulled it off. 
And were you sing? Could you sing harmony? Did, did you have to? How did you learn how to sing harmony? That came much later on. Uh huh. You know, there wasn't much harmony in that band because it was pretty much all TM playing bass and, and doing James Brown covers. And what he was good at was keeping people on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. So we go from one James Brown tune to another. So now you're in school and you're doing this music. In high school. You're in high school. Yeah. And how are you an okay student? Are you doing okay in school? I was doing all right. I wasn't going to drop out or fail. Uh huh. But I didn't care for it too much. I wasn't an overachiever. But you went to music school after. Well, after high school I did, but before that, uh -huh. through a guitar player I knew, I met this um, this piano teacher who started to teach me about jazz, about how, how to approach jazz and, and harmony and things. And that was kind of towards the end of high school. And then... Are you a jazz enthusiast? Yeah. And what, what happened was... Um, so I was playing rock and R&B and different things. Mm -hmm. Then I heard McCoy Tyner. And then, which which totally blew me away, because you know we we were playing really loud, <laughs> trying to hang with with the rock bands. Yeah. All of a sudden, I heard this piano player that was louder than anybody, mm -hmm. just in intensity. Mm -hmm. I never heard anybody. I was never really that interested in piano before I heard McCoy Tyner. Wow. And then I wanted to know all about it, and I realized there was a lot to it. There was a lot that came before McCoy. Mm -hmm. that I learned through my teacher, Armin Dunayan, and um, who taught, I think he taught at the Westchester Conservatory, but I started taking private lessons with him. Mm -hmm. I was spending more time in New York, and then I, um, I applied for Ithaca College. Good um, school. And I minored in music and was a communications major. And at a certain point I realized I was going to be a musician, and I was less interested in communication. Okay, so what was the what was the original dream that got you to major in communication? What did what did you think Try, you were going to well, do? Then? Well, to get a job. And what was that? What kind of job did you see yourself doing? Well, it was, it was TV and radio communications. You know? Okay. And um, but as I, I took some courses in my first year of college, and um, and I wasn't crazy about it, but I was playing in the, in the jazz big band. And Ithaca College, and I realized that was gonna, that was where I was going, and I and I and I started playing bands, and I was just playing instrumental. I was always writing, coming up with stuff, you know. And I started. Uh, and you're writing, jazz. Yeah, writing, writing. You know. Wow. Kind of, the fusion thing had started to happen, so there was instrumental things. I wasn't really writing for my voice yet. Okay. That came later, you know. That came, the singing came because at a certain point I realized I got tired of, of, of um, I kind of went back to what I heard going to the Apollo with my father and, and appreciating singers. And at a certain point I realized I didn't have to be the best jazz piano player. I just had to play the right parts for the right singer. And that's that's how I roll, even today. <laughs> and then I started, I, and at a certain point I started writing songs. But I was going to say, you have a solo career, I mean, you have a whole solo thing going on. You, you have a few albums to, of your own. Yeah, but a lot happened before that happened. 
Okay, so let's talk about what happens. So, so how do things, so you're playing in a band with your brother, then you're doing this jazz thing in college. Well, I played with TM's band, R&B band in school. Okay. Then I started playing, I, I learned quite a bit of jazz harmony, and I realized there were people writing songs. Um, whether it be Stilly Dan or, and even Cream had some other knowledge. You know, it was like the idea that you could, I, first I listened to bands, I mean, you, you call them jam bands now, mm-hmm. but there was something about bands like Cream, mm-hmm. what Hendrix was doing, that wasn't a simple straight ahead kind of blues thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a lot of improvising. And, um, and to a certain extent, there were some British keyboard players like Brian Auger, mm-hmm. Keith Emerson, mm-hmm. Stevie Winwood, who I became aware of, you know. Um, when I started playing piano, though, you know, after hearing McCoy, I think what it was was, it had a lot to do with Miles, too, was um, hearing Jack Johnson. Mm-hmm. Hearing Jack Johnson and, and hearing this music that went right down the middle of the street between rock and jazz. Mm-hmm. And the sense that, and also Tony Williams' Lifetime. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I'd already known, I was trying to, I was kind of a rock guy, and I knew rock guys that were trying to play jazz and didn't know what they were doing. Then I heard these jazz guys playing rock. Herbie Hancock kind of straddled both those worlds too. Well, yeah, yeah. All the guys in Miles' bands, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then um, you realize that, and you know, I think I might have seen them. I wasn't, I wasn't gonna. I was never interested in like what the Grateful Dead did, for example. Still don't get that. Okay, so were you interested in what Jackson Brown was doing back in the day? Didn't know anything about Jackson Brown. Okay, well. Bonnie but when Ray I when I met him uh-huh. when I met him and I heard his songs I realized they were playing his songs in Ithaca and I knew some people that had a vocal group and they were singing they were singing Desperado mm-hmm. by the Eagles mm-hmm. you know but I I wasn't interested I wasn't interested in that at the time mm-hmm. you know? okay so we're going to talk about how that interest grew so okay so you're straddling the line between jazz and rock yeah are you writing that kind of music. I wrote some things, well, you know, after after I heard Herbie and Return of Forever, mm-hmm. I realized there was this kind of instrumental you could music you can write with the with the lead guitar playing the melody. And I, I got in the Fender Rhodes, mm-hmm. and um, and when I got to college, I had a band that was playing. I was writing music that kind of had that, but it was always kind. It always kind of I was always interested in music that that grew, you know, so. Music that grew, explain what you mean. That grooved. That grooved. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That was always kind of in my DNA, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So. And is your father and mother being supportive of this journey you're on? They were supportive the whole way. That's really great. You know. You have that. They, They wasn't sure I could make a living doing it. You know, so what like they that. want you to do? So is that well, where the communications I mean, major came from? Did yeah, they encourage that? that and and mm-hmm. just the idea that, you know, I mean, I, there's this thing my father used to say to me that 
a lot of people have heard, you know, he said, you know, Jeff, it's all right you're playing that music, but man, you got to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so when did you realize, so you said you made the decision in college that you were going to be a musician. Were you making some money doing it at the time? I didn't have to because I was in college, but what, what really made me realize it was possible was mm -hmm. I spent my junior year of college in London. Wait, oh, oh, you did a... Yeah, Ithaca College had a center in London. Oh, wow. And that was a big influence on me. That made me realize I could be a pro because for some reason, I met a lot of British people that were really excited about the fact that there was a black American over there. Is that so? Yeah. And later on, what I, what I realized later on was that the Brits always had this interested interest in, uh, in black American music. Really? You know, always. A lot. All British rock and roll is based on. Well, on the blue, yeah. On on, on um, whether it be the Beatles, the Stones, what you can think of. And later on, I realized that a lot of it they discovered you know, during World War II from the soldiers, you know, the British and American soldiers. Mm -hmm. American soldiers brought, brought either their guitars or their, their records with them, mm -hmm. and people started collecting, and you know, and, and at a time when the black music was being segregated in America. Right. You know. Right. It, you know. I mean, of course, it was different with Alan Freed and maybe Dick Clark, mm -hmm. but, um, you know. Yeah, the whole Buddy Holly thing when they'd go on those tours and the, there would be the black hotels, the... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, did you get to hear any great music while you were in London? Heard a lot of great music. Did you get to hear any of your heroes play? I met a few of them. I played with a few of them. Back yeah. then? Yeah. Like who? Well, the first night I went to... I, I, what happened was I started... I used to subscribe to the Melody Maker. And I okay. Mm -hmm. because I was so interested in London. Mm -hmm. And I knew about Ronnie Scott's because I saw these ads for, for Ronnie Scott's club, the Melody Maker. So the first day I got there, I went to Ronnie Scott's. And I remember a Cedar Walton quartet was playing there, which was like a great jazz quartet. Mm -hmm. Bob Berg and Cedar Walton, these guys. And there was no place to sit. You know, so I was standing up near the bar, mm -hmm. trying not to get in the waitress's way. And there was this other guy standing up, too, who was pretty drunk and pissed at the time, <laughs> you know. And I kept looking at this guy, and we started talking. I realized he looked very familiar. It was Chris Wood from Trevor. Oh. You know. And at one point he said to me, because he was going crazy, he was looking, he said, man, I, always, I wish I could play saxophone like that. And that already was familiar with me, you know. Wow. You know. But it was Chris Wood, you know. That's yeah. pretty nice. Did you did you end up ever playing with him? No, but I played with the drummer that played with Brian Arthur. Mm -hmm. Actually, I went back to London mm -hmm. after I graduated. And because um, I, I developed some friends. So what year, you're in London in like 76-ish? 70, 76, yeah. Uh-huh. So what, 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 I'm trying to remember what the music, British, British rock in 76. Well, at, at that point, I was more into jazz. Oh, okay. 
you know. Mm -hmm. And so when I was playing, I started playing gigs. I had to borrow my friend's Fender Rhodes over there. I started playing pub gigs. There's a lot of pub gigs mm -hmm. in Kensington, where I was staying with, the, where I was rooming with these friends of mine. And um, what they were playing with was like R&B and fusion jazz, different things like that, you know. Um, so I was listening out for the, and there were a lot of good, really good jazz. Always been a lot of great British jazz piano players, mm -hmm. you know. Like, um, what did I listen to over there? Oh, it's a bunch of guys. And, I, and through a trumpet player I met, I started playing with some guys who weren't well known, mm -hmm. but they were on the scene. And I started hanging out at this place called the 606 Club with my friend uh, Dave DeFreeze, and, uh, which is still open. And I've, every time I go to London, I've played a gig there. Wow. They're friends of mine. Mm -hmm. but, um, but there was also these great South African musicians who were living in London. Mm -hmm. um, all kinds of people were there. So I was really trying, you know, I, I was less interested. But after I went by this, back the second time, I um, I got hired to play a tour with a French rock band called Gong, Pierre Mullins Gong, who I met through Alan Holsworth, mm -hmm. you know, who I played with through this drummer named uh, John Stevens. And I wasn't, I still wasn't singing that much. You know. Are you out of school at this point when you're I was doing out of this? School, yeah. You're out of school. Yeah. And so you've made the decision. You're you're a professional musician. That's what you're doing. That's your life. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wasn't sure. I still wasn't sure. I could did you have to do a, Did you have to do a day job when you were doing this? No, I, I, I went back over, and I basically had a little bit of money. At first, when I went back over, mm -hmm. I saw a girlfriend in Sweden, and that lasted. We, we realized within a couple of months that wasn't going to last. <laughs> but one of my British friends was living up in, in Norway. Mm -hmm. Went to visit him, and I made my, made my way back to London. That's when I started working more, you know. And that, the main thing about being in London was that I was appreciated in a way that made me feel like I could be a pro musician. And I stayed there as long as I could. Um, so what, what, is it, what did that mean, Jeff? Did, were me, they and, respectful and, and, of you? Or yeah. They, yeah, and mm -hmm. that there were, there was work there, mm -hmm. and um, people hired me, and I, I made friends there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was there as long as I could, and then I came back and stayed at my parents again, mm -hmm. and did odd jobs and different things, and through some friends of mine, I moved into New York, <clears throat> till I got on my feet a bit, and did a lot of different things in New York, you know. Like what? Well, I played gigs different people and um, and at a certain point through a friend of mine you doing jazz gigs what, what are you doing well you're... doing whatever I could uh -huh. and, and, then, and by that time I started writing songs and I met some musicians um, at Preachers next to the Bitter End you know and um, and through a friend of mine a guy I actually knew mm-hmm in Ithaca College, or in Ithaca named Chris Bishop, mm -hmm. I got hired to sing a jingle. Oh, you know? wow. 
So I was trying different things. Uh -huh. I, was, I was playing reggae, I was playing R&B. Did you study voice at all? No. No. No, mm -hmm. I, I just... Started but I knew I, I knew I could sing. Mm -hmm. And um, and there were a lot of people in my ear already, like, you know. Um, well, you know, certain, certain there was a, a kind of an R&B, basic R&B kind of singing that I probably learned from listening to Motown, mm -hmm. Stevie to a certain extent, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and also, because I had an uncle that played a lot of Sam Cooke, it's like a Sam Cooke fanatic. Oh yeah. That, that came back around, mm -hmm. you know. And what happened was, um, I realized there was this um, thing with playing and sing with singer-songwriters that was more, that was less than more, you know, as far as what you need to play on, on keyboards. And that influenced me quite a bit. Um, and I, at a certain point I did a tour with Sean Colvin. Okay, so now had, I, I know that was pivotal for you and, yeah. and sort of changed your life. So how, how did you meet Sean? How did that happen? Through John Leventhal. Okay, and how did you was that a producer who, who, mm -hmm. was, who was, they were a couple at the time. And they were looking for a keyboard player to do a tour. And how old are you when that's going on? Well, I was out of school and I was, was even before, I'm trying to remember if I was, because I, I had a marriage before this. Uh, a lot of stuff had happened. I was playing around. But you're making a living as a musician and you're... Yeah, and I started touring first with a guy named Curtis Tigers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Started touring with Curtis Tigers. Is that your first touring gig? Is that your first big gig? Um, the first ones were, were, were when I was living in London. Okay. And then there was a long time when nothing happened. And then I did a tour with a reggae band. You know, a guy named Max Romeo, mm -hmm. you know. But I was just looking for work. And um, Sean hired me, which is where Jackson heard me. Okay, so early we came, on? We came through California. I mean, that's, well, I'm, I'm going quite a bit forward, you know. But but you, play, you played with a lot of people before you played with Jackson. Yeah, or but, did that but, happen simultaneously? Did, did all these other... I played with, with quite a few people, but... Mostly with Curtis Tigers, I worked with longest mm -hmm. touring-wise, and um, and then I had this band. I used to play with these guys, and and then what happened? Oh, okay, what happened was through a friend of mine, I got introduced to Bob Telson, mm -hmm. who wrote the Gospel of Columbus, mm -hmm. and Donald Fagan became aware of me. Now, is this before Jackson? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he hired this whole band to do this thing called New York Rock and Soul, um, which was recorded live with Donald, Michael McDonald, um, uh, Phoebe Snow, Patty Austin. Phoebe was a friend of mine. What, what, what year is this that this happened? Uh, this must have been early in my, uh, either very late 80s or, or... I saw it. 
You did? Yeah, Blossom Music Center in Ohio. Wow. Oh, but but the, I did the first one. We only did play play the Beacon. Oh really? Okay. Oh. Yeah. Uh, um, this was late eighties, you said. Late eighties or or, or ninety one. Mm hmm. Or ninety. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And um, which kind of put me on the map, you know. Also around that time is through my friend Chris Bishop. I sang. I was trying to sing jingles. Didn't know quite how to get in there, but through Chris Bishop and uh, this producer he was working for, mm -hmm. who happened to be looking for a singer to sing a, a Miller Genuine Draft beer commercial, which I did, and it, and it did really well. Wow. And um, Did you know Will Lee at this time? That's where I met Will. Because he was a big jingle guy. Yeah. Although I sang with a lot of his friends. I don't think I... I sang on a, on a on a session with Will. Mm -hmm. What's funny is that I still don't know. When Will became aware of me, you know, because people like Will and Ferroni were like, or anybody associated with the Brecker Brothers mm -hmm. were like on Mount Olympus. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody they were. I think about it now. I just came back from Japan playing with, doing this festival with, well, with Randy Brecker. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, wow, I didn't know that, okay. And everybody, uh -huh. oh, and I remember, like the thing with the Brecker brothers, everybody in that band, there were musicians in New York who were trying to, who were learning things from them. Mm -hmm. Every drummer mm -hmm. I knew was trying to play like Steve Gadd, mm -hmm. you know. All, all the keyboard players knew about, you know, um, Richard T or Don Gromley, mm -hmm. you know. All the guitar players were trying, wanted to be like, you know, you know, Jeff Marinov or um, a bunch of guys mm -hmm. doing sessions, you know, but there was, there was an elite group of musicians who, guys who, who really knew their way around jazz and R&B mm -hmm. and weren't snobbish, mm -hmm. you know, about any of that stuff, just loved it all, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, so a lot of things happen, and I'm playing with Will in a way that I never did in New York. He's kind of brought me back to New York as a result. Interesting. You know. Okay, so before, so you haven't gotten out here yet. You're still, you're you're in New York still. You're doing this session work. You're 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 still playing jazz. Well, yeah. I, I, at that point, I was I was you know there was there was. There wasn't any money playing jazz, and I wasn't really good enough compared to guys who were dedicated to that. Mm -hmm. You know, are you are you still doing R and B also, or and rock? I, or? I, I'm basically an R and B guy through okay. and through. You know, I mean a lot of other things, all those other things I try to play come through it, but rhythm and blues is is really a, basically what <laughs> where I come from. You know? Yeah, yeah. As a singer and as a player. Okay, so now obviously you're singing, you're doing jingles. So are you? Have you written your first album yet? What are you? What are you doing? I was thinking about stuff? it. Mm -hmm. You're writing and, uh, songs. And I had a band. Well, what, what happened was there was some other guys from New York who came back to New York after the college, like I did, and we formed a band. Mm -hmm. And we played around New York, and we went up to Ithaca to play. So, what kind of venues are you playing in New York? Um. What's the place on the east side? Um, 
Home. Oh, yeah. Home. Mm-hmm. We played the bitter end. We played preachers. We played... I used to book the Rock and Roll Cafe. Oh, okay. Uh, back in mid-80s to 90. Mm-hmm. We played a bunch of places. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at a certain point, I'm trying to remember when I started playing with Vivino. I knew about Vivino, but I knew I knew his drummer at the time, a guy named Gary Gold. Mm-hmm. And um, and there was this thing called the Little Big Band. Uh-huh. That I became one of the keyboard players for. And um, that's when I, I started playing with Jimmy initially. Mm-hmm. You know. And a lot more since we, since we both moved to L.A. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I've seen you guys play together. So, so... So when does Sean happen? When does that next stage of your career happen? That happened... That was a short tour. Short tour, but when we played here... Mm-hmm. Um, That's when Jackson... Jackson heard me. Uh-huh. Introduced himself to me. And I didn't really think any much of it at the time. And, okay, so you're still not a Jackson Brown fan at this point. I didn't know who he was. This is so crazy to me. You know. <laughs> Remember, he asked me, so you prefer to be called uh, Jeff or Jeffrey? Mm-hmm. Call me anything you like. <laughs> you know, I just didn't know. Did you? I, I knew about Bonnie Raitt, who was also there. You know. Were and you a Bonnie Raitt fan? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I also... It wasn't your genre. Well, it, it was, but I just wasn't that aware. I was uh-huh. becoming more aware of it. Mm-hmm. But... Um, had, you hadn't played with Steely Dan yet. You hadn't done that whole thing yet. No, that happened much. That happened um, after touring with Jackson for years. Oh, okay. That, that, that okay. happened as a result of me finding out through Bonnie that they were going to do another New York rock, or New York rock and soul, mm-hmm. which didn't happen. And Donald asked me. I mean, I, it, it was fifteen years afterwards. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. He asked me if I want to play with Steely Dan, so I did the tours. Well, I did. Donald came out with a with a solo album, mm-hmm. which I uh, called "Morph the Cat," which which uh, I was part of, and then I worked with Steely Dan with with him and Walter. You know. Okay, so all right, so let's dial it back. So Jackson approaches you, and uh, they, they were looking. His band was already set, and they were looking for one other guy. Okay. And and I think it might have been Scott Thurston's suggestion because. They had everybody else, and they heard me. And they thought, and then I think they said to themselves, well, "What about that guy?" You know, when they, when I when I was playing with Sean, because mm-hmm. they saw that when I played organ, I played the piano. And are you singing with her? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and then I started working with Jackson. Then I met my wife through Vonda Shepherd. Okay, so how did that happen? Well, Valerie Carter was Jackson's first choice as a backup singer. Mm-hmm. She was she was already busy with, uh, I should say, Valerie Carter, Carter, uh, God rest her soul, but she's no longer with us. Mm-hmm. But um, she recommended Vonda, mm-hmm. and I was still in New York. So Jackson flew me out because he wanted to hear the blend, you know, and... Within half a song, it was just so obvious that that Vonda was good, was going to, was right for this gig because great singer, mm-hmm. you know. And then she invited me 
one said, hey, you know, I came out to stay with Scott Thurston. He said, hey, I'm sitting in with my boyfriend's band at the Mint. You should come down. So me and Scott went down there, and it was Michael Landau and Abe, Abe Jr. And it was ferocious. It was so good. <laughs> and, um, and she introduced me to this friend of hers, who I started talking to. And there was something about the quality of our conversation that, that stuck with me. You know? And uh, we went back on the road. The tour started with Jackson. Mm-hmm. Make a long story short, I asked Vonda about a friend. Mm-hmm. And she said, funny, she, was, she wanted to know more about you. Oh, this is your wife you're telling me yeah. about? Oh, yeah, so. Uh-huh. Uh, she, came to the, she came to the gig. Mm-hmm. And we were talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just talking. Mm-hmm. It wasn't any big deal, but I remembered that mm-hmm. because it was good conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there was an interest there, which I followed through. And what happened was we we were we were together. I was coming out here a lot to work with Jackson. I was still in New York. She came to New York too. And at a certain point, it just all lined up. And I was already a bit fed up with having to move every year, every other year in New York. And, um, and what was affording me to live there was going on the road anyway. Mm-hmm. I wasn't singing enough jingles to just stay put. Right. I wasn't um, among the elite. Like Will Lee. Like Will. Will sang a whole lot of jingles. Plus he had the Letterman gig all those years, so that made it kind of sweet. Yeah. yeah. We have a question. Yeah. It's from uh, Nick Beck in England. He said he has to get to bed because it's 4, 10 a.m. So I want to get his question <laughs> Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. Get the question So in. the question is, uh, let me see. By the way, that's Pete George behind the camera. Hey, it's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you with the Apollo when Al Rogers and Bernard Edwards were the house band there? Possibly, but I wouldn't have known who they were at that time. Got it. Yeah. There you go, Nick. Go to bed. Good night. All right, now you can go to sleep, Nick, and you can. I'm, I'll do a watch party tomorrow. You can watch with me again. Um, so, so you're with your. So now, when you first start playing, wait, wait, let me you know, answer that question more. Is that I was, I was, um, I was hardly a teenager when I went to the Apollo. You know, so I'm, and I was just beginning to play. Right. right. And I'm not sure they were there then. Yeah. Yeah. And also your awareness was probably not what it became, obviously. Right. You were just a kid. Um, so now when you start playing with Jackson, you do so coming in not a huge fan from the whole catalog and everything. Uh, do you become a huge fan really fast? It took a while, but what happened was, because I had to learn parts, I started realizing it was really through Jackson well, maybe a little bit before that, but I realized that before, you know, when I listened to songs, I didn't always pay attention, that much attention to the words. Mm. You know, I remember, like for example, when when I heard um, I'm a Man and Give Me Some Loving by the Spencer Davis group, mm-hmm. I didn't know what Stevie Wonder was singing about. And it didn't matter, mm-hmm. because the voice, what he the sound of his voice was so cool, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And the groove of the tune. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. But when I started reading the lyrics and listening to Jackson, I realized, oh man, that's, 
this is like an art. He's really a storyteller. You know? mm -hmm. I mean, I, I noticed it with Dylan because mm -hmm. WNEW used to play. Mm -hmm. I remember being a fan of um, It's All Right, Ma. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And just Dylan solos, you know. Because they played a lot of Bob Dylan on WNEWFM. And you couldn't help but notice that, mm -hmm. you know. But I didn't know to what extent Dylan influenced other people, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, later on I figured it out. Mm -hmm. But um, I knew that he was important. But um, it seemed like he became more important as time went on. The music was changing. Well, I, I was a huge fan in the 60s. Yeah, it, it depends on what you came up through. I was a, a white hippie, so Dylan was, Dylan was the shit, always. Yeah. And Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, were they, were they in your... I, I certainly was aware of, of Bridge Over Troubled Water. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I really... And I heard all that stuff. But I really was never a fan of, of, of uh, Paul Simon's voice. Mm -hmm. See, what it was, was that for me to listen to the words, I had to dig the voice. Mm -hmm. And I was always more of a fan of anybody who sounded somewhere near uh, Ray Charles. Mm -hmm. You know, or Sam Cooke, or Marvin Gaye. Mm -hmm. Hard not to love all of that. Yeah. Yeah, and Dylan didn't sound nothing like that. Neither no. did Paul. Yeah. But he certainly influenced Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Fair enough. But, and, but also, actually Jackson has, Jackson's got a lot of soul. Got a lot of soul. Mm -hmm. But also, they were they were influenced by. As I got to know the Jackson, I realized that the staple singers were important to him. Hmm. You know, Dylan to a certain extent, and then. You know, I think um, Lowell George was a big influence uh -huh. on Jackson. Uh huh. You know, and I, I'd heard Little Feet, but after I moved out here. To friends of mine, whether it be Bob Plop, you know, when I was aware of Raikuda and I realized, mm -hmm. you know, how all those guys kind of knew each other mm -hmm. and played on each other's records, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I became aware of that later on rather than before. And so when you're touring with Jackson, what's your personal relationship with him like in those early days? Is it, is it, it was really good, mm -hmm. and it's still good. I mean, you know, he treated me. I mean, now now I'm more more of an employee, but he, he, at the time it was like. And still, he he, he viewed me as a. Um, I mean, the only co-writing I've ever done, that. That actually, you know. Made a little money was with Jackson. So, so what is that like? What is that process like? Sitting there, sitting down with Jackson and, and writing music together. Well, it, it wasn't. I only did that once. But what happened was mm -hmm. that band that I joined Jackson with um, Kevin McCormick, Mark Oldenburg, and Mauricio Lewak, particularly with Kevin and Fritz, we just had. Without anybody saying anything, we just knew what to play with each other. If somebody started something, usually we'll start with Kevin. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. He played bass line. Fritz would play the drums. And I had enough, I had, we just answered each other. Mm -hmm. And since the sound checks were always long with Jackson, you know, Jackson would, would, would come in after taking a phone call. He knew something was going on. And he realized he could write songs from what we were playing. Really? And so it was Jackson that decided that there was stuff he could use mm -hmm. that he wouldn't necessarily come up with himself. Uh-huh. And, you know... And he gave everybody credit. That's very he, cool. He's, he's the fairest man in the land. That is really cool. When it comes to that because a lot of he, people would not do that. They certainly wouldn't. That's right. You know? Mm-hmm. That's very he, cool. He did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very cool. I'm sure that that contributes to why you've been with him so long. Yeah, you know, I think, um, well, you know, there was a living to be made working with Jackson. I didn't know, and you know, you never know when you join somebody's band how long it's going to last. Mm -hmm. I'm even surprised that it's, it keeps going. How many years is it? It's been since 93, so I mean, off and on. I mean, I did a lot of things in between because there were gaps between records, mm -hmm. and I did Studio Dan tours. I worked with Sting too. Yeah, now what's that I did, about? I did, I did a Tracy Chapman tour. Okay, yeah, you, you've you've played with a lot of people. Uh, let's go back. So, what's the first crazy gig you do with Jackson? What, what's like the biggest like? What, what's your first like trip that you like walk out on stage and you go, "Holy shit, I'm like doing it!" Like, what was that moment for you? Do you remember? There were several moments, but um, what's what are a few highlights? I remember Santa Barbara mm -hmm. being a highlight. I remember a, a, a benefit or so with um, that he threw to raise money. He's 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 always been good about helping people out. Mm -hmm. He had a benefit for Jorge Calderon's uh, whose wife had um, was battling cancer, I think. Mm -hmm. And I remember Ry Coot and David Lindley doing a thing on that show. That was that was amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there were a lot of great shows that involved other people too. Benefits and things with Bonnie, and um, is that how you came to play with Bonnie? Yeah, I only mm -hmm. played with Bonnie, but Bonnie liked me enough to hire me to sing on a couple of her records. Sing background vocals on. Nice. She was never that sure about my keyboard playing. Really? She liked my singing. That's interesting. <laughs> you know. And uh, and how did you come to play with Bruce? Oh, well, that was a highlight. Yeah. Uh, that, well, what happened was, it was pretty early on when I playing with Jackson. Mm -hmm. There was this um, benefit at this lake. Castaic Lake? The Castaic Lake? Uh, well, know. there was a lake. Mm -hmm. It was a benefit. Mm -hmm. I think it was for MS or something. Or And what it was was... Um, Jackson was always good at, at having other artists play with his band. Mm -hmm. So you can just... And so Jackson's band played with... We rehearsed. It was Eric Burden. So we rehearsed Spill the Wine, mm -hmm. 
Were you a, were you an Eric Burden? Were you an Animals fan back in those? Oh yeah, I was oh, a big Animals. Yeah. I was more of an Animals fan than I was the Beatles or, or the Rolling Stones. No kidding. Love the Animals. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I mean, more than anybody of those bands from Britain, because I was aware of the Animals before, way before Travis. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I knew that there was there was something about very black about the animals. And the way Eric sung, you know, mm-hmm. and and later on I realized, you know, they did their homework on John Lee Hooker, mm-hmm. a lot of different people, you know. But anyway, so it was Eric Burden, and we rehearsed, born in the USA, and Route sixty six, in case Bruce showed up, you know. And so we get to the gig. It was a very odd gig because I remember. Larry Hagman was there. Basically, there was Larry there were Hagman these guys. My dream of genius. Yeah, there were these guys with with Buddha Jackson's manager who had this kind of motorcycle club. Uh huh. You know, I mean, they weren't they they weren't like the Hell's Angels or anything like that. Hmm. They just loved motorcycles and they hung out. Like what year is this approximately? It might have been ninety four, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember Larry Hagman was there, and. Okay, that's he looked weird. like he was trying trying to hang, but he just seemed like, <laughs> you know, you never forget that smile, you know. Um, he was kind of a redneck, wasn't he? I'm not sure what he was, but I mean, <laughs> I didn't really get to talk to him, but I remember Jan Michael Benson was there. Wow, I had a big crush on him. And um, who I, I knew right off the bat, mm-hmm. but he was drunk. Mm. He was kind of off his face. Did Bruce take him there. down? Huh? I think Bruce took him down, didn't it? Probably. Yeah, I think it did. And uh, but, but that was the first time I saw somebody that was famous that that had kind of like got sailed too close to the sun, like Icarus or something. You know what I mean? Mm. Like he was he wasn't. It's one of the first people I realized that with all that fame, like mm-hmm. that. You didn't necessarily know them because of their movies. Mm-hmm. Their life might have been totally different. Mm-hmm. There was something totally different about about him in the flesh, you know. Mm-hmm. But I remember talking to Eric Burden about Hendrix, and the conversation came up because the first Eric Burden war record there was this cover where this black woman sitting on on a, on a wall mm-hmm. with long legs, and he's holding her ankles. And he's so I asked him. I, I, I asked Eric Burton who she was. Uh huh. I can't remember what. And it was a friend of his mm-hmm. who had a crush on Jimi Hendrix, you know, but Hendrix didn't really want to get too close to her for some reason, you know. She kind of spooked Hendrix, you know. Uh-huh. Good friend of Eric's, and uh, we spoke a lot about Hendrix. Who we was good friends with, mm. and he was a great guy. And we did spill the wine, and he drew that story out. That that version must have been like fifteen minutes long. I saw him do it two years ago over at the pier, and I got to tell you, he still got it, man. Yeah. He has still got. He did that song again. It was yeah. like a fifteen-minute version. It it kicked ass. Yeah, he's always had a vibe, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, so Bruce shows up. And I remember are you, we, 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 are you a Bruce fan before this? I wasn't really. Me either. 
I really wasn't. <laughs> but you know, I am now. We played a set with Jackson. Mm -hmm. And um, are you now? Yeah. Me too. I, well, mean, for, I, I for, came for, to for, it late for several reasons. Though. Okay. So. So we played these sensitive songs by Jackson. Mm -hmm. These sensitive Bruce, songs. <laughs> yeah, because they are sensitive they songs. They are sensitive you know. songs. And Bruce comes on like gangbusters, and he's playing the chords to Born in the USA. And before he even starts singing, he looks everybody, every one of Jackson's band members in the, in the eyes as if to say, all right, you got to, you know, you're, you're playing the song with me now. You got, you got to, you know, I mean, it's just like... <laughs> It's like, come on with it, like, don't fuck around, you know. And he just like revved us up before he even sang a note. And I was really impressed with that mm -hmm. because, I mean, I come from my thing with with anybody who's fronting a band is that I want to be inspired. Mm -hmm. I want to if the front guy is really delivering and really giving this all to the song and the audience, you know. There are no mistakes, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what it was like. Mm -hmm. You know, we played the shit out of those songs. We were 66 <laughs> with Bruce, you know. And he was like, you know, he was going for it. We weren't his band, he could care less, you know. He, he, he was making us his band for those two songs. Right. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It was great. And um, because I never really, so did that make you? Did that make you start becoming? You said there were a few reasons why you became a fan. So did well, because I wasn't crazy about the records, mm -hmm. you know. And then later on, well, I don't actually during that time also when he put when Bruce had a different band in the East Street band, mm -hmm. there was a girl I knew singing background vocals, a girl named Angel Rogers, I think, who was part who was part of that band. And she put me on the guest list when they played Meadowlands. Mm -hmm. And that's when I got it. Mm -hmm. Because, I don't know if it was just that it was in New Jersey. It was seen Bruce live. Jesus Christ. He, yeah. he, 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 he could, you know, he just would look at a section of the audience and they would lose their minds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he would just like, he just got, i never seen anybody work everybody up in, a, in, a, in an arena mm -hmm. quite like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was really impressive. And now, after seeing, you know, the solo thing, mm -hmm. and how he talked about those songs, you know. I didn't see it. Oh my God. Oh. You know, because I, 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 was, I couldn't afford the ticket price to go see him solo, and I wasn't sure I wanted to, but there's something about this thing that's on Netflix now with him playing solo mm -hmm. and them telling stories about those songs mm -hmm. and whatnot. At a certain point, I don't know if this is true or not, but there's something about Bruce and, and being from New Jersey where I thought he must have gone to some black churches and heard what preachers do, heard, heard the power of, of what, what a certain black, because as far as performance goes, there are certain black preachers in, in Baptist churches or Pentecostal churches that can move anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something about... He is preacher-like. He yeah, totally is. He could almost be an evangelist. That, that makes if sense. He, if I he, never if thought If he wanted that. to start the truth, uh -huh. 
I mean, uh, if he wanted to start a church, mm -hmm. he could win over a lot of people. They're already one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that, and that makes a lot of sense. I never thought of that before. Pete, do you have a question? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Let's hear some questions, because I uh, want to ask about Sting next. Got it. Okay, uh, let me see. Did you ever meet Joe Tex? Never met him. Okay. Are you in touch with Bill Withers? I met him once. I actually did a show with Bill Withers. And this is one more. This is from the same person, uh, McCoy Tyner? Yeah, I did meet McCoy Tyner. There you and go. I was, I was like, a, like a, a little fan at a baseball park. You know, yeah. that, 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 that caught somebody's baseball, you know. What, uh, what's your favorite Jackson Brown song to play? Bright Baby Blues. Mm. Uh, is there something you'd like to do musically that you haven't done so far? Um, That's as, far, as, far as, as far as playing with other people, you mean? Just anything. Um, is there somebody you'd love to play with? I'd like to play with Tedeschi Trucks. Mm -hmm. That would work. Mm -hmm. I'd do that. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of Doyle Bramwell Jr., mm -hmm. who I've played with once. But I, I, I like so really good singers, mm -hmm. you know, um, more than guitar players or soloists that, you know, I'm less of a jazz person or a rock guitar guy. I'm more of, of um, well, I should first say that to me, the best sound in the universe is the female voice. Ooh, okay, so who are some of the females that you love? Because Bonnie, to me, and but her slide guitar is what kills me and her well, voice. Well, it starts with Aretha, really. Oh, God, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it starts with Aretha. Mm -hmm. um, Have you played with any great female Vocalist? Well, I, th I thought I thought Tracy Chapman was pretty good. She was great. But, well, um, I'm saying what? But not, not, on, not on that. Well, she doesn't seem to work very much. I, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, Fast Cars. I mean, I, I don't know what she's been up to. Well, she's probably just chilling. <laughs> you know? okay. But I mean, she's, not, she's not in the same league with Aretha, but there's... And then there's a lot of other... Uh, black female singers who are just great. Have you, know. you played with them? Have you played with, uh... With who? With, I don't know, like... I'm well, you know, I mean, I, I would... I'd you like play to play with, with a lot, I, a lot I'd, of I'd, I'd love to play with, 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 uh, with Gladys Knight. You know? That'd be nice. You know? Um, but, you know, there's a lot of them, you know? Uh, both black and white. I thought... Let, one of the things I did with Will in New York... Mm -hmm. These girls, uh, Lark and Poe, I think are phenomenal, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. They're two young, young girls, I guess, from Tennessee, mm -hmm. who you can tell were brought up on, on country and, and blues and R&B, and they're just great, mm -hmm. you know. I'd like to work with them, mm -hmm. you know. Lark and Poe, po, Doe Bramble to a certain extent. Um, I love Tedeschi Trucks. I love the way Suzanne Tedeschi sings, mm -hmm. and I love the way Derek Trucks plays guitar. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's pretty good. Um, How about uh, so for me, vocally, Sting is at the top of my food chain, pretty yeah. much. So what was that? What was, how did that happen? And what was that like? Well, it let, I'm, I'm just glad I I, I I worked with him as long as I did because. How long did you I wasn't work with the him? type of piano player he was used to. Uh 
Uh, how long did you play with him, and how did that start? It lasted about a year and a half. I worked with him long enough to put down, down payment on his house. Nice. You know, when because was, that's 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 probably the best pay I ever received. Really. For touring. Really. Was Be, it beyond the, beyond any beyond anybody I worked with? And is that was that coming straight from him that he's good to his musicians that way? Well, it's just that he 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 um. I don't know why that was, but he always played for for, for huge houses. And what and year? He, what year was that? About two thousand and three, mm -hmm. two thousand and four. Mm -hmm. You know, I was recommended by a guy who was who was co-producing his records. Mm -hmm. And um, what what music was he playing then? I can't remember. It was the Brand New Day tour, mm -hmm. the second year of the Brand New Day tour. Mm -hmm. And then I was at his place, did a live album during nine eleven at his place in Italy. Wow. So we were at, we were doing, we were rehearsing and playing these shows in Italy when the uh, plane struck the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. And um, we had to stay there an extra week because, you know, everybody was spooked about flying. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. So that was, if I can briefly say, you have to imagine, try to imagine that It's the best possible environment to rehearse and learn music in beautiful part of Italy on a farm with musicians from England, from Brazil, from, uh, from America, and every place is doing different versions of Sting songs. And, and just and sitting under a big tree eating the best possible Italian food oh, you've ever had, you know, with his chef and these ladies. And playing pool with, with the Brazilian guys in this little playhouse he had. And and all just it was just like an adventure. And then doing these shows and and doing one the first night and then waking up to the news of uh, hmm. the planes and World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. And feeling like the world had stopped, you know? mm -hmm. or that there was going to maybe be a war. Mm -hmm. But right up until then, it was the best possible yeah. work situation. Because usually, when you rehearse you, for something, you're in like, you know, a rehearsal place with no windows and there's no vibe, you know. Right. Could be good food in it. I've experienced that, but you know, you're you're worried about your car parked outside, you know, whether or not. <laughs> you're going to get a ticket or something mm -hmm. in New York and how long were you in Italy? it was about maybe three weeks nice and it was I think it was this place yeah. which I think is a vineyard now it's what I've heard it was called Fellini not too far from Florence because oh. we were able to take a uh, they had something worked out with Prada mm -hmm. you know and we went shopping at Prada in, in Florence Wow. You know. Um, so it was, it was a you short You must have been short. making some coin because Prada's not cheap. I mean, I didn't, I didn't go crazy. Mm -hmm. I think I brought my wife a pair of shoes there. Mm -hmm. That's pretty yeah. nice. And, um, but the band was this multi, you know, international band. Manu Kache was there, who I knew because I was always, I knew of his work with Peter Gabriel. Mm -hmm. And um, Chris McBride was part of that became a good friend, one of the best musician and people I've ever met, Christian McBride. 
Chris Bodie was there, mm -hmm. who I knew from New York. Mm -hmm. And um, my friend Kipper, who recommended me in the first place. And, um, and I made really good friends with the piano place piano player I was replacing briefly, Jason Rebello, mm -hmm. um, who came back to the band, and Sting kept us both because um, he realized, I think he liked my singing, mm -hmm. he, just like Monty, he wasn't sure about my keyboard playing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he was used to like, you know, great jazz piano players. Mm -hmm. I mean, you wouldn't know from what he did with the police that... Oh, no, total jazz. That, that he was so... He knew as much about jazz mm -hmm. uh, as he did. And... Um, Harmonizing. He was, he, was, he, was, he was a fan of, of, of great piano players. And so how was he as a, as a boss? Was Because he strikes me as very serious and sort of a taskmaster, but... Your story you're telling me he's, doesn't sound like he, that. He's great, you know. I mean, he had his moods like anybody else. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, he's a muso. He, he's, he's a guy like the rest of us that, that played in bands. Mm -hmm. What I figure is that he's maybe not a pure songwriter like Jackson is. By pure songwriter, I mean somebody who, who really only knows their music only plays their own songs, you know. Sting played a lot of other people's music mm -hmm. before he started writing. Mm -hmm. And that, which is why he knows so much. Mm -hmm. And he seems to know a lot about history. Mm -hmm. um, he was also a teacher, wasn't he, he a history was teacher? He was English, like English maybe he was an English teacher, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I think that maybe he was, he was a player before. I think like me, he was somebody that could sing, but he was, he was more interested in playing mm -hmm. before. He sang out of necessity, and then it, and and it was easy for him, and he became really good good at it. Well, what's that like singing harmony with Sting? Um, <laughs> That's crazy, right there. I lost my voice a couple of times trying uh -huh. trying to sing, because he's a high tenor, mm -hmm. you know. And what's amazing about him is that, I think he still sings those songs, and some in of the, the same in the key? same key. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. he can do that. Mm -hmm. But you know, he keeps him. You know, he's like a an athlete. He keeps in very good shape mm -hmm. in every way. Mm -hmm. And so, how? What's it? What was it like playing with Steely Dan? What What, what was that experience like? Were you a that Steely Dan fan? Later, no, probably not. Not. I was more of a fan of Donald of Donald Fagan, mm -hmm. and that happened from from one of my favorite albums, The Nightfly. Mm -hmm. Me too. You know. I was once I heard the night fly, and Gaucho, I thought, yeah, this is the best mm -hmm. shit, <laughs> you know, and um, and it was. I mean, if you're a keyboard player and you're working for somebody else, that still is the best job you can have, because there's always something to learn, mm -hmm. and it's always clear what your job is, mm -hmm. you know, because you have to play the chords in a certain way. They're written the melody. They're written with the melody mm -hmm. in a certain way that just works really well. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to change any of that. You know, you don't need to kind of. You know, it's already pretty. Whether you're talking about Maxine or New Frontier, or you know, 
that album, Nightfly, is just one of the best ever. Yep. Who? What's? Go ahead. You have a question, Pete. So uh, question. Will Lee is watching. He said, "Hi, Will. Love Jeff. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, Will. Um, so, is, who now? Will's watching. So this is this might temper my question. I was just going to ask you, who are the who? Who is the most fun to play with for you? When do you have the most fun? Will Lee. I was. I, I knew you were going to say, but you but you travel the world. With I'm not going to say that because he's listening. But yeah. you know, right now. It's Will. You guys do a lot of, you guys, I've seen you play a lot, so yeah. I know you guys play a lot. Yeah. And uh, and you do all kinds of music when you play with Will, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it keeps me on my toes, mm -hmm. and also, we like a lot of the same stuff, you know? And we, we've only, we've only, like, just scratched the surface, you know? What so what? Do. So what's the dream? I've I've seen you guys play with Ferroni and with Osnoy, and I've seen you play with Steve Postel and with Will at this at that. Like so, what's the dream? Well, you don't want to insult any of your friends, but what what's the dream band for you guys? What's one of the dream bands for you guys? Well, it's it starts with Will. Mm -hmm. um, could be Ferroni. Mm -hmm. Could be Charlie Drayton. Mm -hmm. Could be Steve Jordan. Guitar? That work. Who's playing on guitar? Well, it could be us, mm -hmm. but I like it to be somebody who, who's also a singer. Okay. But it can also shred. So like who? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure because... Uh, I'm not sure because most guitar players I know, the guitar is the first thing. Do you know Steve Conti? Yeah, I know Steve Conti pretty Steve well. Steve Conti can sing his ass off. That would work. Is, I'm gonna I'm gonna be talking to Steve. Steve's doing the show in two weeks, but I've known Steve for 35 years, and yeah. he's just getting off the road with with Mike Monroe, and he's ready for a gig. So oh, really? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna instigate something with yeah. you guys. Steve's got in my top five rock voices of all time. He's a great singer. He's a great singer. Yeah, and he's a great guy. And he's a great, great guitar, guitar player. player, too. I work with him a little bit in New York. Mm -hmm. We've done some things. Mm -hmm. And I play with his brother a bit, too. John's a great bass player. You know. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I'm just happy to be playing, to keep playing and working with good musicians. You know, as Sting said, that it's a, it's a reward in itself, mm -hmm. whether you're making money or not. You know. And Nicer when you're making money. Well, I've got to make money because, you know, my wife doesn't want to move from here. No, and you've got two we boys. Live in, we live in Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. You've got to make some money. And your you boys know? do pretty well? Well. Doing well? Yeah, I mean. Talk about your sons a little bit. That's something to be proud of. Well, I just made a new record, which isn't released yet. But my oldest son, Skyler, mm -hmm. is a great bass player. Very strong. He's already a producer, or oh wow, you know, if, if a producer is somebody that always feels like they can make your album better than you can, he's one of them. Wow. <laughs> and does he sing? Does he sing also? He's 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 singing because he he wants to be an artist, and he's he's in his room with our okay, our, our studio is his bedroom. Mm -hmm. But he won't let me hear him. He won't let me hear. Him. He's like shy about singing around me. Wow. And I don't know why that is, but it's like. Because I've heard him sing a lot, and he's got a voice, but he, he knows that he's, he's a work in progress as a singer. 
Okay. And in somewhere, his influences are are alternative rock and certain hip hop. Mm -hmm. He likes Radiohead. Mm -hmm. Just he got also, inducted. Um, as far as hip hop, mm -hmm. we used to argue about Kanye, who who I don't get. I don't I don't, I don't like Kanye <laughs> as much as he does, but I I can roll with Drake a little bit, you mm -hmm. know. But he, he's turning me on to a lot of different kinds of music. Mm -hmm. And um, and he's on the first track. He helped me solve the, a problem I was having. Well, not just a problem, but I knew something wasn't right about the song I rewrote uh, that I used to play with my, my first band that's based on an Afrobeat rhythm, you know. And it used to work with my old band. It was something about the way we played it, just everything worked, you know. And he helped me rewrite the parts. He played bass on it and played guitar. And um, I wrote it after I went to um, China with Will. Mm -hmm. And came upon this uh, this eating place, this like authentic Chinese place, which had insects. And I saw these scorpions on a stick, you know. Now, I wasn't crazy enough to try this out, but I was really fascinated about that. In the back of my mind, I was still trying to figure out how to rewrite this song. And it came to me that I could make a connection about, you know, my, my, my high cholesterol and what the, what the doctor says I shouldn't be eating. <laughs> but maybe the, maybe the scorpions on the stick would be better. <laughs> and then I, I looked online about... You know, there's, you know, there are many, there are places around the world where that people eat insects because it's plentiful and it's protein, you know. Did you try it? No, I didn't try it. No. I, was, I, didn't have, I wasn't brave enough. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, went, I Googled it and, um, and it said it's like, like potato chips. Okay, crunchy. Yeah. All right. So I thought, okay, my new potato chip. So I wrote this song. <laughs> can you can you play it for us? Can you? All right, I want I, you to play us out on something. You can choose whatever. Well, it the thing is. is, I recorded the track. I can actually play it. Um, play the track so you can hear it through the speakers. No, but I want I want you to. I, I can't to... play all the parts. It's not. It's all right, not the same all right. So so don't. So how about not that? Because I, I'm, I don't even know how long we've been talking. We've been talking forever, like two hours. Mm -hmm. But before we go, I want you to play. Any more questions, Pete? Before we. Uh... That's it. Okay, so so pick. Nobody loves me. No. <laughs> so pick. So pick something that. Um, something very Jeff Young that that will show us. Something you've written that you love, that you feel really good about, that you, um... I wrote a song for Ray Charles. For Ray? Yeah. Well, let's go. All right, so Pete, I'm sorry, I'm going to make you, like, do some work, because we're going to go back in there. Um, for all of you out there, uh, we'll see you next week with Harriet Shockey. Harriet Shockey's a songwriter, she's a great songwriter. Oh. Um, and, uh, we're going to, we're come. We're going to go, we're going to go, uh, we're going to go listen to you play. But you, the, but you, but you'll motion. have you'll have to sing it with me. Yeah, not it'll, me. It'll, it'll be he, simple. Pete's the rock and roll uh, comedian. Well, he can sing with you. There's a part in it that that that, that I quote uh, Ray Charles on. All right. It's very simple. Okay. You can sing this. Act. I I'm so bad. You, you ready? Go. Yep.
Thank you. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Game Thanks. changers.